Welcome into the Think Deeper podcast. I'm your co-host, Joe Wilkie, joined here, as always, by Jack Wilkie and Will Harib. And today, before we get into the podcast, uh, we just wanted to remind everybody that we did end up recording the Think Fast episode uh, with more of the nitty-gritty for pornography of, of just some hands-on tools. What are some things that we might recommend, such as Covenant Eyes or, um, or some of the things online that you can look at? I, I recommended some books there. Uh, we had recorded, of course, the hour-long podcast on pornography, but had uh, had several people request of us doing, I think, faster, just giving a little bit more info on what can we do about it, and so we did that. And so please make sure to check that out. That's on our YouTube page. That's also, I believe we had posted it to uh, our Facebook page, the Think Deeper podcast page. Make sure to like that if you have not, um, and, and like and subscribe on YouTube. So um, yeah, with that, I think we're just going to jump right into today's episode. Jack, take it away. This week, we're going to jump right into the controversial end. Uh, it's not something we go out seeking. On the other hand, uh, it's not something we're going to shy away from. That's one of the things on this podcast we uh, strive to do is, is talk about the things that matter, talk about real life, and real life sometimes is uh, debated. Sometimes there's there's passion on both sides of an issue. There's emotion involved, but it's important to talk about these things because well, important results come of them. And so this week we're going to talk about education, the state of public education, um, especially since COVID started. It's been put under the microscope in, in a whole new way. And we think it's really important to look at this from the Christian perspective. Um, I wrote a book on education. Uh, it's on Focus Press. We're going to put it on sale this week, actually half off. So um, Failure is the name of the book. Uh, wrote that, released it 2014. Um, in the time since my convictions on the matter have, have gotten even stronger. I know, uh, Joe and Will along with me, we're going to have a round table about this. And, um, I think we're on the same page about a lot of this stuff, but it's a critically important topic. Uh, I, I know the reasons why I care about this, why I think we need to talk about this, but let me put it to you guys. I'll start with Will. Why discuss education? Why get into something even where it is controversial, um, why have this discussion? Why have it now? Well, and we'll state the obvious here, and that is we fully recognize this is an, a very emotionally charged issue. This is something that uh, when it gets brought up, uh, blood starts to boil, um, feathers start getting ruffled. Um, but as Jack said, we certainly are not of the um, belief that we need to shy away from things that are emotionally charged, certainly with some of the stuff that we've discussed on this podcast. Um, we think it needs to be addressed, and that's exactly how we feel with this episode, um, education is such an in, such a enormous part of young people's lives. And for us to just say, well, we, we're not really going to touch that because it, it might bother some people. We're, we're not of that camp. Um, again, with, with education, and kids are spending eight, 10 hours a day being educated for 12 years, right? And obviously, you know, that's you know, not talking about college. We're talking about from the time that they're in kindergarten to the time they're in high school. That's an enormous portion of their lives. And so, um, we believe it's incredibly important for us to cover this because once again, so much influence happens in those 12 years. So many things that kids, I mean, kids are literally being shaped. Their brains are being wired. They're becoming who they are during this time period of education. And so it's something that we most definitely do have to discuss. And you, you know, uh, as listeners, you guys know that something that we are strong believers in is questioning our standard practices uh, that both within the church 
uh, you know, with the things that we do in a, in worship, things that we do with our congregations, but also things that we do um, in our home lives. And so if, if something is standard, it doesn't not necessarily mean that it's wrong, but it also means that we might ought to question it. And that's what we believe here. Um, obviously, all three of us were, uh, were homeschooled and you know, strong believers um, in that, but we really want to isolate this to truly how, and I don't know of a better word to use other than dangerous, how dangerous the, the public school system has become. And, and obviously, we're going to get into a lot of this, but a lot of it boils down to we can cover every single topic in the world with our kids perfectly at home, you know, teach them what they need to know, uh, keep the bad influences away from them at home. But if they're going somewhere for eight to 10 hours a day and they are getting taught, they are being influenced in the complete opposite direction of what we're doing at home or what you're doing at home, what good does it do? You know, it's, it's two things that are completely combating against each other and, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's news to anybody that there are so many kids that are falling away from the faith that uh, pretty much have fallen away from the faith before they even graduate high school. And so it's something that we need to discuss. And it's something that, again, the dangers of the public school system is what we're going to discuss here. Joe, what do you have to add to that? Yeah, I think that's just it, what you just mentioned. We're hemorrhaging in the church. We're hemorrhaging kids. We're losing them right and left. Uh, our our Dropout rate is, Jack, you've done a lot more research on this, but I think conservatively 60%, that's unbelievably conservative. And my estimation and from what I've seen, and I think from what we've talked about and, and some of the more recent statistics, you're up to close to 80%, 75, 80% of kids that are leaving and never coming back. And we go, why is that the case? And we'll look at the youth group and was the youth minister good enough? And we'll look at a few other things. When do we ever shine the light back on where are these kids spending eight to 10 hours a day? Why don't we ever think about that? And when we think about carrying this church into the future, 100 years, 500 years, 1,000 years, how do you think we're going to get there? By keeping our kids faithful. If you can't keep your kids faithful, the church is going to be a very small remnant. And we know it won't go away. We know this from Minor Prophets. We know all the way back. The church will never be snuffed out. At the same time, how many kids are we losing? And once again, we have to look around and say, where are they spending the majority of their time? Where are they getting brainwashed? It has to be where they're where they're getting educated. And the funny thing is, the other side that is very pro um, public education is saying, "Well, those those homeschoolers or the Christian schools or whatever else, they're brainwashing kids." It's like, what do you think you are? Um, so yeah, that's why I think we discuss this: is where are the kids spending the majority of the time? Why are kids falling away? And how are we going to keep our kids faithful for the next thousand years? For the, you know, for the next thousand generations, we want to make sure that if if the world lasts that long and Christ doesn't return that we have strong kids who understand the faith and what's the best way for them to get that. So Jack, I'm going to kick it back to you. One of the things that they often talk about is um, kind of this idea of what is it is, are, are the kids, the kids of the state or of the parents? I want to tee you off on that because you've obviously done a lot of work on that. What would you say to that? And that goes to what you were both just saying, you know, of, of, of all the work that we do if we give our kids back. And so the question is, whose kids are they? Who do, who do kids belong to? To the parents, to the state, to the school? And, uh, of course, your your instant reaction is, well, well, to the parents. But then Christian families don't act like it. Um, you know, we can have a church full of well-drilled people on baptism and instrumental music and all the doctrines and all those things. And if your kids are going, you know, at all these hours a day, like we're talking about, 
and being led astray from the faith, anything, any victories we achieve now are getting erased generationally because we have forfeited the idea of, of who the kids belong to. But I mentioned earlier that all of this kind of came to a head over the last two years. Uh, one of the, the most famous was in a governor debate in Virginia. Um, Terry McAuliffe, who was a former governor running for governor again, uh, said in one of their debates, I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decision. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Um, and that, that became kind of the dividing line over the debate of, do parents have rights over their kids and their schools and the curriculum, or do the school are, are are the schools separate and independent from the parents? Which is astonishing that we're even asking that question. To yeah, with. and and right. uh, again, right. I mean, it, it really just drove the campaign and and won the uh, governorship for his uh, opponent. Who I'm drawing a, a blank on his name, uh, Youngkin, Glenn Youngkin, there in Virginia, uh, for just saying you're their parents, you should get to decide this, and, and it really. I don't want to go down this tangent, but it, it, there's almost kind of that trust the experts tone of all this. Well, you're not a teacher, so you shouldn't have any say in this. They should have some say. You know, that doesn't a parent doesn't have to be able to teach calculus to be able to say, hey, stop teaching my kids that sexualization stuff. The same thing with the thing in Florida, what they call the don't say gay bill. And we're going to get into some of the LGBT and other things that are being taught. But it, it comes down to can parents rise up and say, I don't want my kid being taught that. And and their answer has been, no, you don't have that right. And so I want to get to um, something that I think is going to surprise a lot of people at the history of this. Yeah. This is not as new as you think, but we'll go ahead. So, and, and that's what I was going to say is 10 years ago, you know, the, the big push towards um, homeschooling and the big push towards kind of staying away from the public school system was because of the evolutionary teaching, the humanistic teaching, the, you know, the kind of godless um, teaching about origins, about where we came from. And I know, you know, that's been something my dad, Brad Harrop has spoke on for 15, 20 years now, uh, you know, the textbooks, the evolutionary indoctrination. And again, 10, 15 years ago, that was probably one of the biggest concerns was that, Hey, your kid is going to school learning that we came from apes and that, you know, that this, uh, earth, this universe was created from a big bang theory that, uh, danger, has really shifted. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be honest, as somebody who passionately believes uh, in homeschooling and, and, and staying out of the public school system, I got to be honest, evolution and, and kind of the, the godless atheistic theories are really the least of my concerns at this point, personally speaking. Uh, and talking about, you know, whenever my son gets to the point of being in school, that's really the least of my concerns. We've now shifted to where there is a whole truckload of issues now of influence things, of things that are being, kids are being you know, you'd say indoctrinated. Joe used the word brainwashed. I, I think it's I think it's perfect. Uh, th things that are, are are far more concerning than what used to be the most concerning thing: the evolution, the again, the, the atheistic, the humanistic side. Go ahead, Joe. But I, I would just say this is a you know we look at that and we say that's horrible. I think from the very beginning this was a disease thing. I think Jack, you were going to get into the historical quotes. Um, I, I think the public education. Go back to Horace Mann. You go back to those who really kind of thought up this this idea. Um, I don't see any redeeming quality back to the beginning. Jack, I, I want to tee off on that again. Um, the historical quotes just to show, well, I think you're right. It's shifted. Nowadays, we're going to get into LGBTQ, critical race theory, things like that. Um, we'll get into that in a second of some of the major things we're dealing with. But yes, it's the evolution was the issue that comes in 60s, 70s, 80s. By the time 90s are rolling around, that's a big deal. Jack, kick us off though. 
give us some historical quotes of maybe where this came from. I think that might surprise a lot of people going back to the beginning of this. Yeah, I've got a whole chapter on it in failure. Uh, again, I'd recommend checking that out because it's just got a lot more detail than we're going to give here. Benjamin Rush, somebody who signed the Declaration of Independence. So we're talking, this is not a recent thing, uh, wrote about education. Um, and he talked about how we need schools so we can teach people to make them eat more easily governed, uh, make them better citizens. In a sense, there, there's a... Uh, you can understand there's a positive motivation to that, but then there comes some kind of sinister quotes out of it. He said, let our pupil be taught that he does not belong to himself, but that he is public property. Um, that That's kind of weird, isn't it? Um, it gets even worse when Horace Mann, who Joe just mentioned, um, and he's really kind of the father of modern education uh, in the sense of compulsory schools. He went over to Europe and saw what they were doing there, and so we need to bring that to America. And so a lot of what you have with the modern classroom, with the, the uh, certified teachers and, and all of the things that we know, it was kind of brought in by this Horace Mann guy. And he said, we have to view, we who are engaged in the sacred cause of education have to view parents as having given hostages to our cause. This was in the 1840s that this man said, we're going to look at parents giving us their children as they're sending us hostages for what we're trying to accomplish here. And so, you know, roll around to 2020, 2021, a governor candidate in Virginia says, no, I don't think parents have rights over their kids. And everyone goes, oh, my goodness, I can't believe he said that. And it's like the whole thing was founded on this idea. This is an idea that's hundreds of years old of the question of you don't your kids don't belong to you. And your kid doesn't belong to themselves, they're, they belong to all of us. And it takes a village, and we all get input into what we're going to raise your kid with. And so what I want to ask the listener at this point is, do you believe that? Do you agree with that, or do you think your kid is yours? I mean, we can ask, what does God say about it? Well, jumping right into it, look at Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. Uh, what is it, 4 through 6 of raise with child, like, or, sorry, wrong one, that's Proverbs 22. Um no, the, the Shema of when you rise up and, and when you walk by the way and when you lay down. Right, teach like, them diligently. Teach them the diligently. Correct, yeah. Teach them at every hour of the day who the Lord is. That's the entire principle there. Of And this is generations. Matter of fact, I think going back to Deuteronomy 6 verse, I want to say verse 2, maybe into verse 3, um, he mentions the grandparents. And so you have the grandparents, you have the kids, you have or you have the grandparents, the parents, the kids, and then generations following. So I think there's at least four generations present in that of you are responsible for teaching them diligently. I don't see schools present in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, I don't see teachers present. I see parents present in terms of passing the faith down, and it's at every hour of every day, not um, sitting over the dinner table trying to unwind eight eight hours of horrible education, but Proverbs 22, 6, I already mentioned, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. People can say, well, it's not a promise. It's not a command. I we can get into the semantics of what exactly it is. All I know is God's clearly making the point, Solomon, you know, or God through Solomon in that, in the Proverbs, clearly making the point, we're responsible for teaching our children. And when they go up and they go astray, do I get to look at the, and this goes to youth ministry, do I look at the youth minister? Do I look at the public school teacher? Do I look at the principal of their public school and say, it's your fault? Who do you think God's going to look at in the judgment when your kid has fallen away? It's going to come to you and go, I, I put them in you. I put you in charge of them. I gave them to you as your kids. So when you relegated most of their childhood to the public schools and they fell away, you don't get to blame them. You blame yourself for that. So we're responsible. Well, a couple others. Uh, give, give maybe more of the New Testament side of it. 
Yeah. So uh, Ephesians chapter six, um, we're, I think I mentioned we're, we're studying the, the book of Ephesians with our high schoolers and college age on, on Tuesday nights. And we actually just hit this section um, where he, he gives the verse one is the verse that I think was the first verse my parents made me memorize. Uh, Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. But then he goes on and he gives a, a piece of instruction to the fathers, specifically the fathers. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. That's a very specific um, piece of instruction, obviously, again, written by Paul, but inspired by God um, to say, look, the, the, the training of your children, the discipling of your children in the Lord, the nurture and admonition, the, the discipline of the Lord, that falls on the parents. And even more specifically, as far as spiritually goes, that falls on the father. As Joe said, you don't see any room for a youth minister in that verse. You don't see any room for a, a public school teacher in that verse. He's talking to parents. Um, you know, you could bring in Luke chapter six, verse 40, uh, words of Jesus, where he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. You go to dozens of places in scripture and you clearly see the, the task, the, the responsibility of raising faithful children falls on exclusively parents, mother and a father. That's the way God set it up. That's the way God designed it. And again, we've talked about so much about this with, uh, back a few episodes ago, talking about, um, uh, gender and masculinity and femininity, we become so indoctrinated in our culture and just so desensitized to just truly how far away we've gotten from certain biblical patterns, again, specifically with the roles of husbands and the roles of wives and the roles of males and females. I think this certainly falls into this category as well. We, we've come so far and public school has been a part of uh, United States uh, life for so long. We just gotten desensitized to the fact that it, it you really boil it down. It's pretty far departure from the way God originally designed a parent to a child relationship as far as teaching them goes. We've come a long way from that, but nobody recognizes it because it's so ingrained in our in our culture. And you can get away with it to a degree for a time when everyone's kind of got a shared moral religious base, right? Mm -hmm. um, if, if the teacher roughly believes what you believe, but what happened is, you know, we went from schools teaching the Bible and discipline and Ten Commandments on the wall and all these things that got struck down over the course of 10 years. Also in failure, I go over the history of the Supreme Court just kicking God out of the school uh, systematically over and over with decision after decision. And through all of this, so what, what Christian parents, and this is where we, we really sold the farm, was in the 60s and 70s after all these uh, commandments got down, uh, or these uh, decisions got handed down. Christian parents went, okay, we'll settle for religiously neutral schools. They don't allow prayer in schools. They don't allow the Ten Commandments. They don't allow Bible. They don't allow, you know, all of these things. That's okay. Or, you know, but at, at least, least they're not teaching. Well, yeah. not only that, but just, you know, well, they'll let us say a prayer before the football game or they'll let us, you know, talk about Jesus in the Christmas season or, or whatever else. Um, but we accepted that whole, we'll just go, you know, we'll, we'll teach them religion on Sundays and the school will teach them everything else. And so we'll, we'll settle for religiously neutral education. There's no such thing as religiously neutral education. What you're teaching your kids is God can be put on the shelf for the majority of the week. Five days a week. Yeah, right. that he doesn't have a part in, in your education. That he's, he doesn't actually rule over all of life. He rules over Sunday. And guess what? Now we've got Christians who live as though God only matters on Sunday. And so then you transition into a time where they just blatantly teach their religion these days. They, they blatantly teach secular religion. And so let's get into some of these things that, as, as Will said, you know, a lot of times you bring this up and people go, oh, we know about evolution. We teach our kids about evolution. That's great. It's evolved. So, you know, like, evolved, sorry, pardon the pun. <laughs> nice. but, but the whole, 
what is being taught. And so the LGBT stuff, uh, I want to encourage people to look at a Twitter account called Libs of TikTok, L-I-B-S of TikTok, T-I-K-T-O-K. This person just documents liberal people who go on TikTok. And, and a lot of the time, this is a Twitter account. You can access it. Just Google it. Uh, in fact, they just had a major Washington Post profile done on them. Uh, Twitter banned their account for a while. It was like this really big thing when all they do is repost what these people post themselves. They post videos of, and, and, uh, and so many of them are teachers that are LGBTQ coming on bragging about how they put up, uh, in fact, one was, I took down the American flag in our uh, in my classroom and put up a pride uh, rainbow flag, and, and the kids pledge allegiance to it every single day. Or I taught my kids how to uh, keep this secret from their parents, and, and I've got five kids in my class who have decided to swap gender, and we're keeping it secret from their parents. I mean, every day, they're finding teachers, and this isn't just in California, it's not just in New York, it's not just, it's all over the country where these teachers are bragging about bringing their LGBTQ uh, lifestyle into the classroom all the way down to kindergarten and all the way up, teaching kids these things. Um, and, and so you see that, and then you see stats like one in five in Gen Z are claiming to be LGBTQ. Where do you think that comes from? Uh, and, and so, and I know, Joe, you've uh, dealt in some of your practice and, and some of the people you've come across in uh, even in church work of kids who go into the schools and think all of a sudden... I'm a boy now. I'm a girl now. And and the peer pressure of that. Ten years ago, kids were, were trying to come out as gay, right? Because there's some attention. There's some peer pressure. There's some there's some coolness to it. Now everybody's trans. Everybody's yeah. a boy. Everybody's a girl. I mean, this is something that is so widespread. And I don't think parents really... I mean, even here in conservative, red state, Bible Belt, Texas, uh, we've got a fourth grade teacher in one of the Forney schools uh, making kids declare their pronouns. Tell us, you know, do you want to be called him or her? Wow. And and the worst part was the Facebook thread that was, you know, somebody posted, hey, my kid's teacher is doing this. Did you guys heard about this? Almost all of the comments were other parents going, this is so great that they're making a safe classroom for these kids. You got to realize what's going on. It is not, wow, they taught your kid that dinosaurs lived 10 million years ago. They're actively teaching your kid to choose a different gender to get attention and status. I'm sure everybody's heard of safe schools, right? Safe schools, safe schools. That came out a few years back. Um, and, well, probably about, what, 10, 15 years back. Anti-bullying campaigns. Anti-bullying campaigns. What do you think those are pushing? Oh, well, uh, who's who could possibly be against safe schools? Who could possibly be pro-bullying? All these are is a Trojan horse to get LGBTQ in there. We all know this, uh, and, and a lot of parents, unfortunately, don't. I think they look at it and say, well, of course I want my kid going to a safe school. What safe school means is you have to use the pronouns that they choose. Joe's not and making this up. This is also documented in failure that this was a strategy rolled out in the late 90s to turn That's anti-bullying right. Right. into opening the door for gay acceptance. I mean, like explicitly, a guy that worked in the later worked in the Obama administration said, what parent is going to be, you know, against an anti-bullying campaign? That's how we're going to get the, it in the door. It's the war of words. Sorry, we'll I was just going to say, Joe, I'll kick it back to you in a second. It's transitioned, and we've talked about this before. It's transitioned from tolerance to blatant pushing of a of an agenda. Again, tolerance was the big buzzword a while back yeah. with homosexuality and you know even transgenderism. There's no tolerance going on in public school systems today. It's blatant. Here's our agenda. You have to accept it. Again, even with the the sex education stuff starting in first grade, th that's not tolerance. That is here's our agenda. Here's the type of individual that. The, the state and what we want you to turn out to be, here's what we're going to teach. 
again, it is transitioned so much. And, I, and I'm sure a lot of parents probably maybe, maybe a little bit behind as far as once again, thinking that evolution is, is the biggest deal or that, you know, well, they're just trying to stay neutral. No, there's no neutrality. There's no tolerance going on. It is, here's our agenda. You're going to be, your kid is going to be forced to accept it. Well, and it's the sheer amount of, and we'll get into this later, but the sheer amount of how much you have to roll back. So yeah, now you have to take five-year-olds, four and five-year-olds are learning about gender fluidity. They can't, they can't even do two plus two. And they're having to learn that there are multiple genders, things like this from a very young age. It's grooming kids is really what it is. Um, but from a very young age, they're learning all of this stuff and they don't have the basic building blocks of life figured out yet. And what yet we're supposed to, to deal with gender and we're supposed to, to unwind all their teaching on, um, on again, evolution on, all the things, the, the religion and how they view religion and the world religions and some schools make them do um, Islam just to kind of understand. They'll, they'll do Ramadan and things like that just to kind of understand other religions. And so you go, well, we're pretty good on, on evolution or even we're really good on gender. Are you good on all of it? Because there's even more, which we'll get into. But let me also say, we're going to tee off on this later a little more. Please stop saying not my school. Please. Well, we're, Jack just said in the, in the South, he's in Texas. Texas of all places should be the place where you think, oh, kids are safe. In Forney, Texas, um, nope, they're not there either. You can be even in, in Tennessee here. Well, you have to you realize still- these, and that's why I recommended the libs of TikTok account, is you see that these people who are LGBTQ people are evangelists. Uh, they, they are missionaries. They they view it as their goal to go in and, and spread this ideology and recruit kids, win kids over. That's why it was so effective with the, the thing in Florida where they were pushing back against the bill and calling it don't say gay and all that, that when people started calling them groomers. Why do you want to groom kids? Why do you need to talk to a kindergartner about about homosexual sex? That is what a groomer does. These people, I mean, like that, that's what's happening here. And so, as you said, well, not my school. I want to save that for a little bit later. But... TikTok is everywhere. You know, kids, th- this gender confusion, the rural of rural. I mean, I've, I've been in you know, places, I, in fact, I lived rural East Texas, places deeply Christian community, religious community, all that. This stuff is everywhere. And, and I mean, your kid is not going to go to school without being asked about their pronouns or without a friend or without, I mean, this, they're, they're going to be surrounded by it. And the question is, is your seven-year-old prepared for that? And let me ask you this. If you live in the middle of nowhere, the middle of Indiana, and you see kids at your church, how many kids you got at your church? If you live in the middle of Idaho, how many kids you got at your church? We're losing them everywhere. I don't see any one place that is keeping 80% of their kids. I see multiple or most places losing 80% of their kids. Why do you think that is? Because we're still clinging to, oh, in this rural community, you know, everything is good. And again, we'll get more on this later and, and some objections and such. But I just want to throw that out there because I know the way people, oh, that's not, that's horrible that that's happening. But I know the teachers at my school, I know that they're not LGBTQ friendly. They actually, they're Christians. They hold to the scriptures. The, the problems with this are twofold. First off, public education is government schools. Okay. This is coming from the top. This is coming down from the people that, that govern the entire country are putting these things in our schools. And no matter how good the parent or the, the teacher is individually, it does not go against it. Second off, what do you do about the kids? And third, I guess, is Jack's point. You can't get your kids, or you should, but a lot of kids are on TikTok. If you're in rural Iowa, your kid can still be on TikTok and getting all of the education your that kid's the kids friends. In, in Your kid doesn't your even have to own a smartphone. Right. Well, go ahead. Well, it, it goes back to the reason that we started with those scriptures. Where do you want your child to get their um, 
information from? Where do you want them to get their education about sex from? The schools or you? Where do you want your your child to get their education about all the, I mean, I believe we should be educating people or our young people about the, the, the issues with transgenderism. The problem is parents aren't educating their kids about that. The schools are, and TikTok right. is. So with all of these evolution, the, the origin of the earth, again, the, the LGBT stuff, Jack's about to get into the, the critical race theory things. The question that Christian parents have to ask themselves, where do you want your child getting his or her information and education from? Because if you're going to allow it to be done at, in the public school system, it is going to be done in a manner that is godless, in a manner that is anti-biblical. And you're going to have to, to, to answer for that. Because that, that is where our kids are getting all of this indoctrination from. Let me speak to this real fast. I think there's a lot of parents that don't know themselves exactly how to handle some of these arguments. They'll run to one scripture or two, but they're not um, scripturally based or, or have a deep foundation of sexuality, of LGBTQ, of how to really um, to work through this ideology. And so how are they going to do it with their kids? So what do they do? They bury their head in the sand and hope that neither are going to have to deal with it. Hope their kids don't and hope they don't have to deal with it because what are we supposed to say? So they know it's wrong, but they don't often know why it's wrong or how to, how to again, like get their kids away from this ideology and to really work through it in a process. And so their kids well, are finding it either way, kid, but parents aren't ready for it. Even if you can tell the kid it's wrong and explain perfectly why, the poll of all of your friends is a lot stronger. It's going to be a really about, hard thing to overcome. Um, as parents, and Jack, I'll kick you off on critical race theory here in a second. But as parents, I want you to go back for the listeners. Go back to when you were eight, nine, ten years old. Do you remember feeling? We we feel peer pressure now as adults. It doesn't go away. But do you remember feeling what it was like? And back then, maybe it was the cool new trend. Maybe it was the the hat you were wearing backwards, or or you know the tie dye clothes in the nineties, or whatever it was. Think back to when you were a kid and how strong peer pressure was for that. Now consider all the peer pressure surrounding coming out as trans and, and, you know, changing your pronouns and being or, bisexual. or even being accepting of that. It's right. not just right. that, that your kid is being pushed towards maybe adopting that lifestyle. It's that your kid is being brainwashed to be tolerant of it, to accept it, to say, oh yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's also a huge issue. All right. Yeah. Are you ready for your kid to be hated by all of his classmates and possibly even punished by the school for refusing to call a little boy she? Uh, like these are the, the the decisions you have to start making on these things. Um, we, we've talked about it a minute, so I'm going to go to it of uh, racial critical race theory. This is one of those things that it, the the rhetoric around it is so dishonest. Nobody is saying that history should not be taught. Um, we all grew up learning who Martin Luther King Jr. was, who Harriet Tubman was, who you know, just uh, George Washington Carver. I mean, like all of those things are part of it. And so nobody is saying stop teaching about those people. No. That's a very dishonest thing they're saying when we say well, don't teach about critical race theory. Oh, don't teach about black people. Don't teach about. No, not not at all. Don't teach little kids that they are evil white colonizers who have something to apologize for. That's ridiculous. Um, here, I, I pulled up some things. Um, Christopher Rufo is somebody who's done this both for schools and corporations all over the country of people send him things and he exposes these lesson plans, these curriculum, you know, things that are being taught. Here's one. In third grade, students are told that white European colonizers impose their Western and Christian ideological framework on racial minorities and force two spirit people to conform to the gender binary. The teacher encourages them to break the binary. Uh, let's see. I mean, there's just 
one after another after another of this if uh, you you look on his profile. Let's see. Last year, a fifth grade teacher at the William D. Kelly School designed a social studies curriculum to celebrate the political radical Angela Davis, praising the black communist for her fight against inequality and telling students to define communist in favorable terms. At the end of the unit, the teacher led the 10 and 11-year-olds into the school auditorium to simulate a black power rally to free Angela Davis from prison, where she had once been held on charges of murder. The students chanted, Black Power and Free Angela. This is not normal. This is not teaching kids about Martin Luther King Jr. This is not... uh, Here's another one. Uh, (laughs) A lesson plan that instructs kindergarten through second grade teachers to encourage students to discuss what happened to George Floyd and the goals of the Black Lives Matter movement. You know what? What happened to him was terrible. Five-year-olds don't need to know who George Floyd is. That does not need to be on their radar at all. Uh, And and what the Black Lives Matter movement means. I mean, come on. Um, A public school in San Antonio segregated fifth-grade students by hair color, subjected them to harassment and abuse, and showed them graphic photos of murdered black children in their (sighs) anti-racism curriculum. And kids need this, yeah. That's yeah. that's what they need. To I learn. mean, like I could just read these all day long, and uh, I mean, just again, stuff that uh, does the whole. If you're white, well, your your ancestors were evil colonizers uh, who killed people, and you're guilty, and and you stole land, and and I mean, just like. And as they get older, they have to, they're given books like White Fragility from Robin yeah. D'Angelo, and they're given Abram Kendi books, who are very big into the Black Lives Matter critical race theory um, agenda that is that is taught and again you may be listening saying well, what's wrong with black lives matter we're talking more of the movement um the ideology that comes along with it and clearly from a psychological perspective how messed up is it to put this on five six seven eight year olds even to put it on teenagers who they can't vote they can't do anything else which they're they're grooming them because they know they will be able to vote but when you're pushing this stuff kids are not prepared to handle the woes of the entire world that's an adult issue that needs to be handled by adults not six-year-olds well, and this is speaking to Joe's point. We've we've been talking about these for, for 20 minutes or so. We have already hit three major areas of brainwashing and indoctrination. Are you prepared as parents if you're going to be of the camp? Well, well, we'll just, uh, you know, fix all that when they get home. We'll talk about all that stuff. Are you truly prepared to undo that indoctrination in all three of those areas, the evolution side, the sexualization, the LGBT stuff, the critical race theory? We've got one more that we're going to hit. Are you truly prepared to, again, if, if that's the side you're going to fall on, which is, well, we're just going to undo all that with our teaching when they get home for, you know, the four hours at night that we have them. Are you truly prepared to do that? Because I think if, if Christian parents were honest, the answer to that is no. You know, as much as we can try Jack's point to start, which is, you know, the, the victories, the small victories that we have to start when we're teaching them what we should be teaching them biblically. It's all undone. It's all erased from every single one of these areas with the sexualization, the, the critical race theory. Joe's about to get into the, the, the physical safety side of the public school system. It's, it's, high, it, it's past time that we start questioning what has always been standard and say, is this truly something that our kids need to be uh, involved in? Do they truly need to be learning these things? The underlying thing behind these and, and why we really wanted to key on LGBT and CRT, they're the two really big ones, but there's an underlying point to this, and it goes back to the point we started with. Who do these kids belong to? Because right. with the LGBT stuff, one of the things that is a common feature in these teachings is you don't have to tell your parents about it. You can come out. Right. In fact, one uh, I saw one where uh, a teacher had like a, a closet at school where kids could go in and you know wear 
you know, put on clothes of the other gender when they get to school. And, and then when they leave, they take them off and leave it in that closet and go home. And they don't have to tell their parents. And it's keeping things secret from your parents because your parents just don't understand. Your parents are bigoted. Your parents are old and outdated. The same thing with this race thing. Oh, your parents, you know, either uh, they are part of the oppressor class or, you know, they just they haven't repented of their whiteness and, and you know, essentially turning kids against parents to the best of their ability. And so then that adds another layer of difficulty when you try and disindoctrinate your kid, when you try and take these things out of their brain, they're skeptical of you because their school has taught them, hey, your parents don't get it. Your parents are bad. Your parents are on the wrong side of this. Uh, I, I mean, just... One all the way down to just banning things like the Berenstein Bears, you know, like canceling some of those books like they did. It's stuff that's severating or severing generations from one another, and that's not an accident. These are things one that the, uh, build on each other towards the same ideology of your kids don't belong to you. One of the reasons you got pulled out and why mom and dad ended up homeschooling us is because you were coming home calling them drug addicts because they drank coffee with caffeine. Hey, that this was, that was our sister that said that, not me. But you Okay, know. well, okay, there you go. Yeah. So we'll throw Rachel under the bus. But this goes back of it's it's pinning kids against their parents, and we see this in even Disney shows, right? The Lizzie McGuire's and such. The parents are idiots. They just don't understand. And this has been happening for decades at this point of really pinning their parents against it. But you know who that sounds like with keeping things secret? It sounds a whole lot like pedophiles. They hate using the word grooming. That's exactly what it is when you keep things from your parents. This is how pedophiles work is we have these little inside things just between us and we don't tell anybody. And and then you kind of like almost blackmail the kids of, well, if you're the one that goes and tells the parent, then you're on the outsides. And you see these kids getting punished for their parents come storming into these meetings. You'll see it on YouTube or whatever else. And they're just furious at the schools. And the school board just sits back and is basically like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? Like they don't ever make any changes. The school board never. So these parents tee off and you know where the kid goes the next day? Back to public school. Like, great. So you got to get ticked about it for a second. You got up in arms about what your kid's learning. Did you do anything about it? And the majority of the time is no. They they let the school board have it. Okay, that's great. You actually have to do something about it. But I want to transition to the physical safety, Will. You talked about it. Um, well, you just brought it up where pedophile activity, that's not an exaggeration. It's literally true. I mean, when we yeah. get to the safety thing, the sexual assault thing, I mean, if you ask most people, would you leave your, your little boy around a Catholic priest unsupervised because of the reputation that, that came out of that, the scandal 10, 15 years ago that, that really started a break of how much molestation, how much sexual assault there was among Catholic priests with the altar boys, right? Okay, that was a real thing. Statistically, right. it is dwarfed, I mean, 10, 12, 15 times over by public school teacher sexual assaults. I saw a stat that said there's been like 150 this year alone of people arrested uh, public school teachers for sexual assaults. You know, underage relationships with kids, things like that. And the funny thing is, uh, not the funny thing, the sad thing is you'll see every now and then a youth minister or a minister, somebody arrested for it, and it's a really bad, sick thing. And people go, oh, churches, you just can't trust them. It's a, it is a, a horrific thing when somebody abuses the trust of, of ministry to do that. Right. That's one here and there. We're talking about in states all over the country, dozens of times. I mean, sexual assault in public schools is rampant. We're talking thousands and thousands and thousands over the last 10 years. And kids against kids as well. Yeah. The sexual assault taking place between there, the groping, the touching. I've got stories from, from therapy of very much that stuff happening. Well, now um, you add in the kids can go in the wrong locker room because who's going to stop them? 
right, the wrong bathrooms, the, the wrong locker rooms. We're creating a bunch of sex addicts, which I guess for my work, since I specialize it, um, will keep me, uh, you know, should keep me going for a long time. And that's terrible, is we're creating a ton of sex addicts, in my opinion, voyeurism and everything else that's on the rise. Um, from a, a, the pure violence perspective, think about all the school shootings. When Columbine happened, Jack and I lived, what, 25 minutes, 30 minutes away from, from Columbine. It was a big deal. Um, I was I was very young. I still vaguely remember it, but I know everybody else uh, remembers Columbine happening, and it was huge. How many more? We're talking hundreds have happened since then around the nation, some which have been stopped, some which only injured a few kids or only killed a kid here or there. And, and we say it so cavalierly, like a person died because somebody brought a gun to school and shot them. I have a, a buddy who I think he's teaching second grade now. I think it was a, uh, when he was telling me this, I think it was first grade. They would have these drills, school shooting drills, and they'd have to, he would get graded on having all of the kids go inside. Could he fit all the kids in the closet inside their room? So when a active shooter, this is for first graders people so when an active shooter came in would they see any kid well he tried to squeeze every kid in there he had like 20 something kids in his class trying to fit him into a closet there was one kid standing out and he got graded and they came in and said well this kid basically he'd be dead you got to make sure he fits in there he's like we can't fit anymore this is in first grade they're doing active shooting drills and lockdowns are you kidding me your kids having to go through this and and don't act like once again don't act like this isn't happening at your school they do this same as a fire drill now we have active shooter drills because this is rampant. He's had kids bring knives. He's had kids bring fake guns. Um, There's so many stories at uh, on the elementary level. Think about middle school and think about high school where the bullying is rampant. The, um, you know, just the aggressive nature between kids is, is starting to really ramp up. And now you have a kid who's been bullied for the last four years and he gets a hold of his dad's gun and you have to worry about your kid going to school. Is your kid going to be the one? And are we fear mongering here? No, I really don't well, think so because this stuff happens enough where it could be your kid. Well, my, my dad does something when he, when he uh, teaches about this with the public school system about how there was a survey done. I believe it was back in the sixties, maybe seventies. Um, public school teachers were asked, Hey, on, in your day-to-day um, teaching, what is your biggest concern, right? Well, what's, what's your biggest issue that you have to deal with? And man, the answers back in the sixties and seventies are laughable. It was things like chewing gum. It was, you know, kids talking too much. It was, you know, making too much noise in the hallway, you know, that type of thing. You ask teachers today, Hey, what are your biggest concerns? What are your biggest issues? You really think chewing gum is going to be at the top of the list? You really think kids, you know, talking too much is going to be at the top of the list? No, we've got things like, again, bomb drills, shooting drills, violence, sexual assault, uh, kids bringing weapons in. It it just speaks to how far we've come when it comes to the, the dangers of this pu- of the public school system. And, and you know, we talked about how the the evolutionary humanistic teaching is, is really one of the smaller concerns. But you talk about violence, you talk about all these things that kids are doing to each other. You have to figure. It is a result. It is a product of teaching young people that they came from nothing. That they that, that they that, that they basically don't matter, right? That that they evolved. If you teach kids that, we really shouldn't be surprised when you have all the, this violence. You have all these issues that we have now in schools with uh, among kids. You teach them that they are created in the image of God. That they have a purpose. That they have a soul. You're going to get something different. And again, speaks to what we've talked about the entire time with this episode. What do you want your kids growing up thinking? What do you want your kids growing up believing about themselves, that they were created in the image of God or that they're just another cog in the wheel, that there's basically no purpose to their life. Uh, they're here to just eat, drink and be merry, have as much fun as they possibly can. 
that's the the battle that is that is going on here. Joe, you, you spoke very well about the physical physical safety side of things that really doesn't get talked about a lot. Jack, do you have anything to add to that before we I move think on? It's just kind of the 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 cumulative effect, right? Of everything that we've just talked about. You can I mean you might dismiss one and be like, you know what, our school's pretty safe. You know what our school does this. Oh, I, you know, our teacher that but when you start putting it all together and you come back to that question of whose kid is this? Who is responsible for them? Who did God give them to? Who do they belong to? Um, and then you realize all the things you're going to have to do. And man, I've seen it. You've seen it. Almost everyone's seen it if you paid attention to it. Of good-hearted kids that have a good relationship with their parents. And the longer they're in school, and especially when they go to college, which we're not even getting into here, that you know they come back and they hate their parents. They need to lecture their parents at Thanksgiving. And, and the people who have loved them, aunts, uncles, grandparents, all of a sudden are evil people that they need to set straight. And that's they're the racist uncle at Thanksgiving and all that. And you just go, this is horrible. This is, you know, and you think about Malachi at the very end of the the. Old Testament, when it's talking about John's going to come and kind of foreshadowing that Jesus is going to come, and it talks about he's going to return the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. You know, that that's, that's restoration of a nation. And, man, you just see this split happening generationally. And as I, we just talked about a minute ago, that is part of the intention of it. Keep secrets from your parents. Your parents are evil. You read about what the communists and the Nazis did of getting kids to inform on their parents. And, and you see this stuff happening, and you go... Boy, uh, uh, man, uh, but we have normalcy bias, right? We have the ability to sit and go, eh, it's probably not that big a deal. Uh, you know, it, it's not that bad. Well, it could be worse. Well, uh, but l just sit back for a minute. Look at all of it together. Look at how much work you're having to do to undo the work that's being done and think, is this normal? Is this okay? Am, uh, should I put up with this? Is this worth, is it worth the risk? Yeah, is it worth the risk? Uh, the other thing, you know, people always talk about, well, private school, homeschool, these other options, they're, they're expensive, they're difficult. They, uh, this is difficult too. If you are actively doing the work that it takes to, uh, to confront and talk about and vet all of the curriculum that's coming home and all of these things and hope that your kid isn't being kept anything in secret at the school building that you're not giving access to, that's more work than any other option. I mean, yeah, and so sure. this is not normal. So I want to finish by getting to some of the objections. Um, Will, I'll have you lead the way on this. We've heard them. We've, you know, again, I wrote a book. I've had all these things thrown out. I don't think any of them stand up, but let's just go through them. Go ahead and lead us through Yeah, these. there's... There's quite a few. And as, as somebody who's grown up, you know, again, homeschooled my, my entire life, just conversations that you'll have with people among the church. There are so many of these objections that are thrown out there. And, you know, again, maybe 10 years ago, one or two of them was somewhat legitimate. But as time's gone on, they've just gotten so much less legitimate as far as defenses for the public school system. And I'm a, my biggest thing here, and I'm going to get to the first objection and then I'll, I'll kick it to, to the other two guys. If you sat, if you sat down and you made a pros and cons list for the public school system. My just blunt question, what's on your pros list? You know, you have your pros column. What, what is the benefit to sending your kid to the public school? There's not, again, you ask Christian parents that, what are the answers going to be? You might get things like, well, they're socialized better. And we'll get into that here in just a second. Or, well, they have a better opportunity to play sports. That's about it. Again, I, I would challenge in any Christian parent to, if you're making a pros and cons list about the public school system, what is on your pros list? Because there's not much there. There's not much 
nothing beneficial that you can point to and say that, you know, what that's a reason why I want to send my kids to public school over Christian private school or homeschooling. It's just not there. It doesn't exist. Um, Go ahead, Joe. You have something. It it just absolutely kills me. We've used this illustration before, but it absolutely kills me that we have basically we send kids knowing that they're going to get poisoned, but we go, well, they got the antidote. Uh, you know, they get right. the antidote at home every night. And so we're going to send them there. And so we'll let them drink There's, the poison. That's yeah. exactly right. We'll let them drink the poison because uh, we know it's going to be just fine. And you go, boy, you hope you, you hope the antidote's enough. Well, no, I, th- I think it is. Uh, are we stupid? Why in the world would you do that? So if, if that's, if we put it on that level, every parent would go, well, there's really no reason why you would do it. If we put it on this level, all these objections come up. So sorry, Will, you could take. So that yeah, the, the first one, and this is the one that we've heard quite that I've personally heard quite a bit. Well, we want our we want our kids to be lights in the public school system. You know, Jesus tells us to be lights of the world, and we want our kids to to do that. I'm sorry, Matthew five sixteen, when Jesus is saying, "Let your light shine." Do you really think he was talking to eight year olds? Do you really think he was talking to nine year olds? Right. About, well, hey, hold on, hold on. I, in- let's let's uh, let's take this. Okay. Let's take the idea that maybe Jesus did want your seven and eight year old to be a light in the school. So for all of this time, we have sent very near a hundred percent of Christian kids into the public schools. Isn't it great that we're enjoying this this utopian Christendom <laughs> as a result of right. all these yeah. little half sized missionaries going in and converting their classmates and their job. teachers? Right. And we've got this society that is dominated by Christian values because because Christian kids have done such a good job of evangelization in the pu- if that strategy worked, it would have worked because we certainly right. gave them the numbers. You know, it's, it's, I, I, like it's over. We don't need more of a sample size. We have uh, even since the the things changed, you know, those Supreme Court decisions I mentioned, even since public schools became religiously neutral, so to speak, that's 60 years, a 60 year sample size. The results are in time to abandon the strategy. It failed miserably. Hey, but you know what? Strip clubs need to be evangelized, too. Why don't, right. why don't we I love the point that somebody course. made that it's really weird how it's only the free schools that need lights. Nobody's paying <laughs> yeah. the Catholic school tuition, the Jewish school tuition. You know, nobody's sending their kids to those places to be lights. It's it's only the one where you get in for free. And once I, I again, don't, I don't have <laughs> it's it's eight it's eight year olds. Uh, they yeah. are not equipped to handle this, especially when the the elder of the room, the teachers, everybody on up in the school system is against your eight-year-old. You think your eight-year-old is prepared for that. You I think your 15, 16, 17-year-old is prepared for that. They're Newsflash, they're not. We're losing 80% of our kids. Wake up. This is not happening. Who's evangelizing whom? Who's converting? Yeah, right. There, there are a lot of ridiculous arguments. I, I think this is probably the most ridiculous. Again, the, the idea that you're going to send your eight year old kid into the lion's den, literally the, the den of wolves and say, man, I, I'm sure grateful that they're going to go evangelize to these people when, you know, and, and even let's, let's not even talk about eight year olds. Take about your 15, 16 year old who are liter- who is literally in the most vulnerable state of their life. The, the time that they're wanting to fit in the most, the time when they're going to be the most easily influenced. And that's not my opinion. That's biological. That, that's the way kids are wired at 15 and 16. You're going to send them in there t- to be lights to their friends when all they're wanting to do is fit in. It is just the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard when somebody comes out and says, yeah, well, our kids are going to be lights in the public school system. Just ridiculous. As stupid as it is, I hear that one the most along with the second one we'll jump into is the socialization. People use that light one a lot. Well, don't you want your kids to be light? My kids are lights. It's ridiculous. But they also say, what about socialization? What about uh, all of these weirdo homeschool kids that we have known growing up that, um, you know, just couldn't hardly talk to people? And 
for this one, I'll, I'll lead it off and chip it to you guys because I think this is also very easily worked through. Funny that it never really comes around to the public school kids who can barely talk to people. Spend time with a the average homeschool kid and spend time with the average public school kid. At worst, the homeschool kid looks exactly like most of the public school kids where he can't talk to anybody. And at best, the homeschooler is the one going and talking to all the older people at church and, and he can actually go up the spectrum. Public school, think about where in life you get that socialization setting. Everybody your own age, one other person in the room that's not your age and everybody else that's your age, um, they can't talk to anybody else other than other kids around them. So that's well, what they, public school Joe, sets you they, up for. They can talk to other people. It just has to be done through a screen. It's not going to oh, be done face to face. Good point. Good point. Right. They can tweet at you and tell you, okay, boomer, uh, they can do that. I don't know that they can actually hold the conversation I, with you. To me, it's like, okay, let's say homeschooled kids all came out horribly socially awkward, but they came out with their souls intact. Deal. Yeah, right, I'll sign up for that. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. saying every homeschooled kid, every private schooled kid is stay saved and every public school kid isn't. That's not what I'm saying. People, will, you know, are going to take things the wrong way and that. But I'm saying if if your chances are way greater for them to keep their faith and they come out a weirdo, okay, I'll take the weirdo. Well, it's the but Jesus, it what does it profit? I'm yeah, sorry, exactly. I was going to say, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul? Exactly. If your kid is the most socially adapt individual on earth and yet forfeits his soul, what good did it do you? Yeah. If your kid is the, right. the best athlete in the world because he had such a good chance at his school to become a, a star athlete and forfeits his soul, how many Christian athletes are out there, right? Professional athletes just doesn't happen. What, what's the what's the point of it? What's the value of it? It's and just it's insane. That's taking this argument at, at its best value, giving it its best chance. Right. Still not going to do it. However, that it's it's still a ridiculous thing to say that oh you're just you're just not you know socially adjusted. All these eight year olds you see at the the restaurant with their face that we talked about on the tech episode a couple of weeks ago with their face in the iPad because they can't have dinner with their parents or their grandparents. Are they socially well adjusted? I mean, like this is not uh, this is it's one of those things that I, I think for me there's such a double standard where if you meet one homeschooled kid who like is is bad academically has tr trouble reading or whatever it's an indictment of the whole thing when you've got literacy rates falling through the floor across the public schools well it's it you know uh, nobody holds they that literally had schools. to make the sat and act easier so that our kids will get higher repeatedly scores. right and uh, so that that doesn't get held against the public schools when you meet a, a public schooled kid who whose socialization is terrible as you said they can only talk to people their own age that's not held against the schools okay and so like uh, th this is a little bit uh, to to broad brush everything in that way and so the socialization thing doesn't work uh, i think one the other big one that we really need to get to we touched on it a little bit earlier is, is uh, we've got people i guarantee because it always is this way who have listened this far and are nodding and amening and yep man it's so bad out there it's so bad out there it's so bad out there but not my school We've got Christian teachers. Right. I know the not teachers. You know, it, it's it's not in it's not here. Or well, that's Massachusetts and Colorado and California and those wacko states. But here in the the Bible Belt South, we do things a little different. They let us say a prayer before the football game, and you know we know the teachers, and and it's better than that here. Um, number one, uh, I've I've got this material in failure. I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head. It's something at like seventy five percent of parents in america would say that the public schools are failing i mean like everybody agrees that there's a massive problem across the board that educationally that there's big problems in the schools and then something like 80 percent i think it was grades like 75 percent would give american schools like a d or an f or something like that and then 80 percent would give their own school an a or a b 
Hmm. Wow. Everybody hmm. says the schools are terrible. Everybody says except our school. Well, if the guys in Texas and Mississippi and Florida and Georgia are all saying the schools are terrible, but ours are all good, and the guys in California and Colorado and, and New York and all the and Illinois are saying the schools are terrible, but ours are, ours are all good, where are the bad schools? Right. Right. Where's yeah, the That's happening? exactly it. And I, and, and I, I do want to say for, for anybody that is listening that might be a public school teacher, uh, we are very thankful for you. We are, I mean, you're, you're going onto the front lines of the battle here. Um, this is not, if you're somebody who's a faithful Christian doing everything that you can to combat the, the system going on, that's great. We are not trying to disparage that in any way. At the same time, you're one individual fighting against an entire system. Um, so again, we don't want to discount that, but at the same time, uh, this is a fish rots from the head down. This is something that is coming from something far above just one individual teacher. And man, the not my school thing is thrown out there so often. Uh, the idea that, you know, man, it really is bad out there, but man, my kid's school is so great. We have such a great school system. Our, our schools are so good. Um, then same where thing are all with, these issues coming from? It's the same thing with pornography. We talked about this. Of Oh, I know porn's my a big kid, issue, right. but not my kid. Uh, yes, your kid. Okay. And once again, Maybe your school is great on not teaching evolution, which most that's that's hardly ever the case. But let's say it's not great. Maybe they're great on not teaching LGBTQ and, and CRT. What about the kids? What about the peer pressure? What about the influences they're getting that aren't structurally, you know, coming from the top, which it, let's be honest, they're government schools. They all do. But even if you're good as a teacher through that, what are we sending our kids to with the other kids? These other kids are coming from godless homes. They're coming, even if, even if you know your entire community, oh, it's, it's a tight knit school. We still lose kids in those schools as well. You still have lesbians and, and, um, you know, transgendered kids coming out of those schools as well. So yes, it is everywhere. I think the fact that we can, that, that bias of, well, not my school, cause I know all my teachers and I'm really well informed. There's so many other aspects to that, that you can't begin to fathom that, you know, and they've taken place for a long time. I just think it's getting way worse with peer peer pressure and influences. Um, here's another one moving on the objections, though, is and we see this a lot. We talked about this, I think, on the summer one, um, and I kind of went off on my soapbox of parents, please stop telling kids. I just can't wait for you to go back to school and post on social media about it. But it's this idea that my kids and I can't stand each other. We need this time apart. So sending them to school, it gives me some some me time. Or basically to, people say, you know, man, if I homeschooled my kids, we would kill each other. Right? Yeah, that, that's that's what they'll typically say. Yeah, I, we, I've heard that from multiple people. Basically, oh, those exact right. same words. Oh, I just kill him, you know, or we kill him or we we kill each other. My kid can't stand me in and, and I just I struggle with them. We need this break apart. Jack, I'll I'll kick it over to you. What would you say to that? This one can be real short and sweet. If you're sending your kids to school to avoid that, you're not solving the problem. You're hiding from it. And that's a problem that needs to be addressed big time. If there's a respect dynamic in your house, if there's an anger dynamic in your house, if there's whatever the dynamic is between you and your kids, hiding from that is not a good thing. That You should be able to work it out. You should be able to live. You know, your kids are going to drive you crazy. You're going to drive your kids crazy. That's part of it. But if it is so bad that you, you literally can't stand the, the thought of being in each other's presence the way... Every family in all of human history was. You got some work to do, especially as a Christian family. Uh, I'm saying this. That's something I, you know, Christians have said. I have heard Christians say we would kill each other. Well, Christians aren't supposed to kill each other, so maybe work that out. That's an know? enormous right. issue, right? <laughs> and I say to this earlier, and I want to reiterate this point. 
I firmly believe that we will stand at the judgment and God will, we will have to give an account for our kids. We'll have to give an account for how we parent the same way. Husbands will have to give an account for their wives. We see this in Genesis three, where God looks at Adam and goes, she may have taken of the fruit, but what were you doing? Why didn't you stand up? Adam is, is put, he's judged because he did not keep the hierarchy. We discussed this in our masculinity episode, right? I think it's going to be the same thing for kids. Parents, you have to be thinking about when you get to heaven, if your kid falls away because, well, we just couldn't stand each other and, and you sent him to a godless school that brainwashed him, who do you think the buck stops with and who do you think God's going to look at? Yes, he'll look at your kid and say, yeah, you made your own choices, but he's also going to look at the parent and go, I entrusted you with this mm-hmm. soul, which is the most important thing on this planet. I gave it to you and you squandered it and I gave it to you and you said, well, we kill each other. That's not biblical. That's not right. That's not that's not looking at any of scripture and you're handing them over to godless people to solve your own problems because you can't solve them yourself. You will be held accountable for that. God is going to ask you. I am convinced of it. He will ask you at the judgment, what were you doing with what I entrusted you? Look at the, the man with the talents. The man with the one talent who who's too scared to do anything with it and he buries it. Who's the one that's judged the most? That guy. Not the one who risked it. Not the one who was doing stuff. And so... We say, look, if you're hiding from your issues and you're just burying the problems and hoping that public school is going to make it go away, you are that man and judgment is coming against that. So I'm, I'm, you have to start thinking long-term about your kid's soul. You have to start thinking about, about the judgment and about what's coming next. And again, about the thousand generations from now, if you can't solve your problems today and are running from it through the public schools, how do you expect your kid to be faithful and jet for generations? Yeah, and if you can't be around your kids for five hours straight without wanting to go at each other's throats, how do you expect to disciple them? How do you expect right. to turn them into faithful warriors for Christ and faithful servants for Christ? Again, if, if that's the man, we just if we were around each other every day, it'd be over. You know, how do you expect to raise them to be faithful Christians then? Again, and invest y'all, in y'all, family therapy. Right. Y'all both said it. If this is your objection, if this is your excuse, you have got a lot of work to do because there are bigger problems here than some of this other stuff we discussed. That's an that's an interfamily dynamic issue that absolutely has to be addressed because that that simply quite simply cannot be the, the objection. If, if that's it, you've got problems to fix within your family. So on the flip side of this, you have kids that or parents that really can't stand their kids and vice versa. But you also have parents that do genuinely like their kids, but they care so much about their kids. They say, man, I'm not qualified. I want the best for my kid. I'm not qualified for teaching them all the way up, um, whether it be homeschooling or whatever else. We can't afford private school. We can't afford Christian school. Um, I can't teach them. I'm not qualified for that. So public school is kind of my best hope for them getting a solid education. Jack, what would you say to that? Well, number one, uh, this is something that's in failure as well. Statistically, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. What you need is a parent who cares enough about the kid to make it happen for them. And, you know, when you've got a, a teacher-to-student ratio of 1 to 20, 1 to 30, uh, it might be the best teacher in the world, most caring teacher in the world. They're going to be stretched really thin. Um, when it's 1 to 1, or even if you got six kids and it's 1 to 6, your ratio is a lot better, and you are way more heavily invested in that kid's success than any teacher, administrator, anybody. That's not to put teachers down. That's to say that the parent is going to care more because the parent has more skin in the game. And so with that, you don't have to have a teaching degree. You don't have to be an expert in calculus and, you know, in, in, uh, in English literature and in chemistry and in all of the subjects across the board. You need to care enough to find a way to get your kid to learn those things. Um, 
there are a million resources online. I mean, this is something that we're this far into homeschooling. There, there's so many resources, so many online curricula. There's so many free things, Khan Academy, things like that. Um, YouTube is available. There's the library. There's, I mean, you, you can find anything you want. If you need to hire a tutor for a certain thing here and there, um, it's cheaper than you think. You know, you can get your kid help with something that you just can't seem to figure out and help them do. That's okay. You'll get there. The other thing is you'll find other homeschool families will help you. Maybe somebody older in church, you know, you might have an engineer who goes to your church who maybe they'll uh, help teach your kid, you know, uh, if your kid, or answer your kid's questions about math when that math gets over your head. Um, you can do this. It's something, again, statistically, number one, it's been done. I think that's an attitude that I try to have and that uh, I think most people or that everybody should have is, you know what, if millions of people have done this, I probably can too. You know, we're not talking about sure. going to the moon. We're not talking about like really, really difficult things. We're talking about something that millions of people have done. I could probably do that too. So have that attitude, number one. Number two, just realize the resources out there are endless. Yeah. You just got to look. And so, you know, trust in God, pray about it, start looking, you'll find what you need. And and that we're getting into the more practical side here as we, as we kind of wrap up. If you're somebody who's listening going, okay, I understand. I hear what you're saying. How do I do it? Jack, you know, Jack said there are millions of resources online. I would encourage you, um, if, if you are somebody who's genuinely asking, okay, where do I even start? Um, find somebody, uh, maybe it's your congregation, somebody that you know that has done it, reach out to them. If you don't have anybody, um, reach out to us via uh, Messenger on Facebook. We can put you in touch with people. Um, again, just do some internet searches. That, it it might have used to have been a legitimate argument for somebody to say, man, I, there's just... I don't even know where to, you know, what to do because there weren't re very many uh, homeschooling resources available. Jack and Joe, I know when your mom started homeschooling y'all, it was it was very uh, scarce. The individuals and the resources that were out there. We're 20 years past that now. There, there's so many uh, online resources for for somebody that thinks maybe well maybe I'm not qualified enough. Um, there are so many options. Um, again, if if you're somebody who's wondering how do I do it, maybe again maybe you don't have anybody at your congregation that you can reach out to hit us up on Facebook. There are, there are people, there are things we can send. Um, if that's something that you're truly wondering, Joe, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to speak to the not qualified for a second as well. Um, and we can continue with the practical, but you know, my mom was made to feel like an idiot from her own siblings. You're too stupid to, to homeschool. You can't do that. Uh, what about teachers? What about, what about the authorities? And she was really challenged and pushed in that. And you know what? I, I think we turned out okay. Uh, for the most part, I mean, we are functioning individuals. We're, we're preachers and, and, sister, you know, is married to preacher. And I think we did okay. And all four of us have our souls. And it was something that I think, um, I thank God and I thank my parents for quite a bit that they were willing to take the plunge, even when she was told you're not qualified. And the other thing is, do you really think that, that as if you're a parent, you really think you, you are less qualified than these libs of TikTok kids that are guys and girls and, and trans and whatever they are that's trying to groom your kids. You really think you're less qualified? Well, they have a degree. They're using their degree to groom your kids. Whether you have a degree or not is not the point. Uh, you love your kids and that will come through more than anything. And it goes back to your point, Jack, of the socialization. Look, if your kid doesn't know two plus two, but he's a Christian. I Sign up for hey, it. I, exactly. Like that's, I take that. If he is a, a world-renowned physicist um, that's not a Christian or he barely can do math, but he is a Christian, which uh, to be honest, I don't think happens very often. 
because the love involved, when you love your kids, you teach them the best of your ability. But even if that was the case, what matters more here? You have to think about the qualified from that point of view as well and recognize that it's not so much about the qualification, it's more about who loves your kid and what you're willing to do to get them what they need. That's exactly it. And and this is something that Jack, I think already mentioned, but it's so obvious when we're talking about the practical side of things, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of effort. And I, I, I truly do think a lot of people that it might be sitting here going, yeah, that's not really for me. I don't mean, you know, I don't mean to be blunt, but I think you're probably just too scared of the the effort you're going to have to put in. You don't want to have to put in all the, the work to, the, to find the curriculum, to teach your kids. Again, I don't mean to be blunt, but I, I truly do believe if you're listening to this thing and yeah, eh, not really for me you're probably just not wanting to put the work in. It does take effort. Ask any homeschooling parent. It takes so much work, so much effort. The question you have to ask yourself, what is the value of your child's soul? How much risk are you willing to live with by sending them to a, as we've established, a system that is built to indoctrinate, brainwash your child and pull them away from God? Is that risk you're willing to be comfortable with? You know, Would you rather not put in the work and live with that risk? Or would you rather do something that yes, is going to take work. It's going to be difficult at times. It's, you know, it's going to be a struggle at times, but your child, your, your child's soul is going to have a much better chance of staying faithful. That's the ultimate question that we are challenging Christian parents to ask themselves. And if both parents have to work and are to, in order to afford, and they say, well, we just can't get homeschooling done. First off, I've known it. I've known single parents who were still able to homeschool and we're not even pushing homeschools much. If private's an option, if you can afford that, that's better than I, I still... I'm an advocate for homeschooling because I think you love your kids more than anybody else will. And I still think the the psychological idea of the the bell going off at 3 p.m. and letting them know learning stops right now. And it's just all the psychological effects of that. Private schools still have some of the same, you know, bad kids and, and violence and things like that. But it is a better option. So I, I'll throw that out there. Um, I, there's less of an agenda, obviously, in those. One thing I would say to that, though, if you're going to spend the money, the extravagant amount of money on private school, you know, why not go ahead and take the plunge and, and spend less money yeah. and, and, and effort on homeschooling and get a tutor where you need. Um, yeah, if you're going to spend that money, I would I would say that. But if you have two parent household, I would strongly consider once again, think long term here, think judgment here. Uh, I would very much consider trying to move to a cheaper part of the country if you're not there, where maybe if your husband has the ability to move jobs and you can stay home and, and, and homeschool the kids. Um, exhaust every option, because for those that look at the first thing and they go, ah, not going to work. Look, that needs to be the 10th thing. You've tried everything and it's not going to work. In which case I say, you need to vet everything. You need to be as, as talking to them every single day about everything they're learning. You need to be building the relationship with your kids um, to the point that they're going to tell you these things. They're not going to be groomed like everybody else. And you're going to have to put in 10 times the effort if the only option is to keep your kids in public school. I would say if at all possible, whether that be moving states away or moving to a different country to make it happen, if it's cheaper, do it. What is your kid's soul worth? You, we cannot continue to send them into this this uh, meat grinder and be shocked when they come out without their soul. I, we just, we're, we're, what are we doing? It's, it's kind of the definition of insanity, which I really don't think it is, but kind of the one you always hear, which is doing the same thing and hoping for a different outcome. Well, we've been doing that for about five decades, well, for longer than that, but really where we're losing kids right and left and we keep scratching our head going, well, is it the youth minister? Maybe we just didn't, you know, maybe we didn't get to church enough or maybe there was this. It's like, no, you relegated God to a day or two of the week and you talked about God for 30 minutes around the dinner table and they got godless teaching for eight hours during the day. What do you think? This is a math equation. And you know what? 
I think we can do the math on this and recognize if you've got eight hours of godless teaching or even four hours of godless teaching, it's going to take that much to make it up. Are you giving that to your kid? Chances are probably not. So do what you can, practically speaking, with the free resources, with reaching out. We we specifically chose to do this episode and to drop it when we have, because we know everybody's getting out of school. We know everybody's about to have a fun summer, but you know what? There are, we got the Czech Conference, Christian Home Educators of Colorado. Um, they have a ton of resources there. If you can get there, there's a huge homeschool conference in Cincinnati. If this is something you're considering, we wanted to do it on the front end. So you have all summer to pray about it, think about it, talk with your your spouse about it and figure out how can we get this done? Because it's that serious. We We cannot... We, we cannot stress enough the importance of getting your kids out of gov- government education, if at all possible, because we are losing them by the droves and you don't want to have to stand in front of God and talk about how you lost your kids because you couldn't, you know, we just needed to have that, that second car. We needed to have that third car, whatever it is. Come on. I mean, seriously, if, if it, you have to eat rice and beans and ramen for the rest of your life, but your kid keeps the soul, do it. That's the importance that we're stressing here. I want to just talk briefly and then we'll conclude. Um, What I don't want people to think is that we're saying that homeschool or private school are a silver bullet that will get your kid to heaven and public school is uh, uh, banishing your kid to hell. That's not what we're saying at all. We're talking about influence. We're talking about direction. And and, and we've talked about, you know, keeping your kid saved, keeping your kid's soul from being misled, uh, keeping your kid away from the peer pressure of, you know, declaring their pronouns or or hating their parents, all all these bad things that are being thrown at them. It's a very important thing. Here's the real key that separates all of this. Don't just think about keeping your kid's soul safe. Don't just keep think about keeping them alive. Think about when your kid is born. You don't look at the kid and go, man, my job is to keep them alive for the next 18 years. No, your job is to to help them be healthy, to grow, to thrive, to learn, to do. Think of the same way spiritually. It's not your your job to keep your kid alive. And man, if if they're still coming to church at 22 years old, oh man, we made it home. We need elders. We need preachers. We need servants. We need deacons. We need Bible class teachers. We need people that are involved in the work of the church. We need people who are running toward the problem of of the world as they grow to maturity and as they they come into their own as Christians. And so whether it's homeschool, private school, all that, think, what gives me the best opportunity to train my kids to be warriors for the Lord? Because as we've mentioned a few times, you gain the whole world. Your kid, you know, they're a lawyer, a doctor. They're the president of the United States. But if they lost their soul, it's not worth it. On the other hand, if they're a humble, whatever career you want to consider as humble, but they are a spiritual warrior, they are a pillar of the church, somebody who is there and is making a difference, somebody who maybe is evangelizing, somebody who is um, doing their best to, to lead a family to the Lord, that, that your children can take your grandchildren and lead them and teach them and, and keep them keep their soul connected and plugged into God and, and, and thriving in the church. That's what matters. So what we're asking you to think is, what option gives me the best opportunity to do that? Don't look at it and go, eh, it could probably work like this. You know, well, it's not guaranteed that they're going to fall away. If they... No. Think, I've got to make this kid into a spiritual warrior. It's my responsibility and nobody else. Nobody's going to do it for me. There are people actively trying to do the opposite. How do I get that to happen? What is the best option to get that uh, to come to pass? I don't and think my the great, 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 great grandkids are going to be leading the charge spiritually in the world, even when the world has completely fallen apart. I know my family 
is going to be the ones getting it done. Exactly. My and what decision stable. do you make right now, this summer, going into next year, that's going to make that most possible? And so I know it's, we've got people listening who are, are listening and they're going, my kids are lights. My kid, no, not, uh, we'd kill each other. All those things, those excuses. No, it wouldn't work. No, it's fine. Our school's different. Some people were just not going to convince. But what the last two years have shown us is there are millions of families on the fence that when they got sent home with the COVID lockdowns, and they looked at what their kids were learning, and they heard the teaching coming through the Zoom screen, all of a sudden went, huh, I don't like this very much. And a lot of right. people started thinking, is there a better way? Can I get them out of here? Can I... That's the people we're talking to, the people that are on the fence. If you're on the fence, make this decision based on that question. What is the best way to turn my kids into spiritual warriors for the Lord for generations to come? Perfect, perfect way to conclude there. Um it's again very emotionally charged but it's something that again we feel very strongly about we feel very strongly that it's a biblical principle that we need to question and and it, you should it's, too it's as listen it's, you should feel strongly right. too it, it's past time that we that we understand that kids are leaving the faith and for us to just throw up our hands and and throw lame excuses at it it's over that, that, that that's ridiculous. We have to start doing something. Um, and so as always, we want to let everybody know if you have questions, if, if, if you're totally new to this discussion and you're once again going, man, I don't even know where to start messages. You know, we don't have all the answers. We can point you to somebody who does, uh, you know, we can, we can point you to various resources as we've already discussed. We, you're not in this fight alone. This is not something that, that you're going to have to just figure out and, and again, figure out the best way to do it. We have the resources available. We can send you. If you have those questions, um, send, send them our way, Facebook page, uh, email, whatever it is. Um, guys, unless you guys have anything else to add to the discussion, uh, it's been a really good discussion. I hope it's been beneficial to all of our listeners. Once again, think about these things. This is not something we just want you to listen, brush aside and go, all right, cool, good episode and move on. Think about it. Seriously consider making some changes. If you truly believe it's as big of an issue uh, which it is, as, as we've already discussed. But uh, guys, thanks for the discussion. Um, I think we are going to wrap up with this latest episode right here of Think Deeper. Think Deeper.